Howdy and welcome to the Homes for Hope podcast. My name is Dre Coltree and I'm the Western U.S. representative for Homes for Hope and your host today. If you're not aware, Homes for Hope is a building industry response to global poverty. Since our founding, we have expanded our mission to serve in over 20 countries and have had the privilege of investing over $1.6 billion in the dreams of underserved men and women through microenterprise development. And today on our show, I am proud to say we have the one, the only, David Bellman, president of Bellman Homes. And, and David, I'm going to need you to help me with this one. In Waukesha, Wisconsin? Is that what we're calling it? Not, not a bad attempt. It's called Waukesha, Wisconsin. So oh, my goodness. It's an Indian, old Indian name. <laughs> okay. Fascinating. I love that. Well, David, uh, thanks for joining us today. It's fun. I was saying we've kind of gone full circle here doing a home and home. You had me on your podcast a while back. And so it's it's a, truly an honor to get to have you on the pod today. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity to talk, Drake. And yeah, it was great to have you on the Home Building Hero as well. And we talked about all the cool things that you're doing. I'm involved in some similar kind of fun philanthropy things too. So uh, it was a great connection and uh, it's it's cool to be able to to, to join on each other's podcast and, and share our stories and, and the cool things we're doing. Yeah. And so David, tell me a little bit about Bellman Homes and your role and all of that. Yeah, so uh, Bellman Homes, we are a semi-custom and custom home builder in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And uh, we, my father started the company back uh, a long time ago. So he cut his teeth doing real estate land development. And then basically in the 80s, when the interest rates were really bad, uh, his builder friend that he worked with um, decided to quit the business. And so my dad said, I think I can build some houses after working with him for a while. So he he took on some of these really great trades that were unemployed, uh, built a couple houses, um, interest rates got better. Things kind of took off from there and a building company was born and and we started uh, uh, getting pretty big, which was, was, was pretty awesome. And there was a lot of need in our area. And then uh, around 2000, I started Bellman Homes. So it was originally Don Bellman Homes and then I created Bellman Homes just to kind of make it a little um, more um, kind of longevity, I guess, when keeping more of a, a generic, just using our last name for the company. Um, and then uh, I think it was around 2012 or so, I started really taking over more of the company and running the whole thing. Uh, my father passed away a couple of years ago, uh, but I've been kind of running the whole operation for for uh, many years now. And uh, we do homes, we do condos. Uh, we're doing a lot more full custom homes, got a couple lake homes going on right now. So that's kind of fun. Um, and then uh, we do land development as well, real estate work. So really we encompass all all the main areas of residential home building. And uh, um, when I took over, we really tried to uh, push the needle a little bit with the company and raise the, the mission of the company. So our vision is to create the ultimate building experience one customer at a time. And so we focus on a really pleasurable, memorable building experience. Um, we're not about quantity. It's about quality and a good relationship, uh, fostering you know good reviews with their clients. And um, uh, we use the same crews and the same trades over and over again so that uh, we produce a really high quality home, great results. Um, it's handmade from scratch, which is pretty cool. So it's stick built and... Um, it's the home that people are going to want to live in, you know, the rest of their lives. So um, this really is their their dream home and their forever home, if uh, if we can use that term. And uh, um, it, it, it's just cool to be able to 
go from scratch with a concept all the way to completion and get a final home and then give them the keys at the end and, and see um, how this is, you know, met their vision and, and now changing their lives and they can build their family in this home and uh, create a lot of wonderful memories in the house. So good. So good. Thank you for, for sharing a little bit about that, David. It gives us great uh, context for the rest of the show. Um, but listeners, I uh, was telling David right before we started recording, I was like, you are the Carmen San Diego of the building industry. You are constantly going somewhere, seeing something. And so I'm really excited for what you're going to share today on the first half of our show. Um, and that just kind of tees us up. So for David, uh, what do you think at fall 2023, the building industry should be keeping front of mind right now? Well, there's there's a million things because, like I said, I've been involved in a lot. And um, I'll touch on this quickly and then I'll answer your question. So um, I'm involved because I you know I care. I love the industry. Um, I'm, I'm active at my local, my state, and my national level uh, working on advocacy, so promoting pro-housing issues. Um, and then I go to a lot of conferences where I learn about you know emerging technologies and all sorts of stuff like that. And that's just where I got back from. So yeah, I do I do stay active, but that also helps me with my podcast and being able to share all this information with my my audience. Um, but as far as I think, what's really on my mind is, uh, and this is really my number one thing that I talk about with people is uh, I am deeply concerned about housing affordability. And um, I think that is something that everybody should keep on their minds and it's not getting better. It's a challenge that our industry faces. And the reason I like to talk about it is because when you start to look at some data, if you start to look at um, historically where we're at and where we're going, it's really not a good situation. Now, certainly it is a good thing that your home is gaining value and it's gaining equity. Um, that's all good. But what's not good is when you look at like younger buyers and what they can afford to buy and things like that. And that's where it gets kind of scary. So for example, uh, here's one stat that I just found recently. Um, and this is through Zillow. So they they put all this data together and they did a study where they they took all the major cities around the United States and they said, okay, if you're a first-time buyer and you're renting um, what is the average um, uh, or the median sale price rather, the median sale price in your city? Okay, they look at that and then they look at the average rent price in your your city. And then how long does it take for you to save up 10% so you can buy your first home? And they did this all throughout the country. Now, here where I'm from in the Milwaukee region, if you rent a home, it will take you 10 years to get 10% down to afford a new home. That's a really long time. Now, some markets like the West Coast, it's 14, 14 years. There's some that are a little less, but that is a really, really long time. And so uh, one of the things that we try and tell people is, you know, especially younger people is it doesn't matter what kind of home you buy, but buy a home as soon as you possibly can uh, because you want to start getting that equity and start getting that value and get that appreciation. You know, um, your job will will pay your bills, but your home will make you wealthy. And so that's what we try and tell people because um, once you have a home, you're putting principal uh, towards your house every time you make a payment. And, you know, on a $400,000 house and you're putting principal down, uh, you know, you're going to probably accumulate about seven or $8,000 worth of 
savings or, or equity in that home. And then the other thing is a typical new home goes up by roughly about, if you just say modestly, like three or 4%, um, that's another five to $7,000 a year that you're gaining in value of your home. And that happens year over year over year. Whereas if you're renting, you're just paying that money out and it's just going to your landlord. So to truly build wealth, you need to own a home. So that's the one facet of the conversation. The other facet is just the cost of everything, the cost of construction, the cost of regulation. That is really hurting housing affordability. And like regulation here in the United States, um, the amount of money that's added to the cost of a home due to local, state, and federal regulation is over $93,000 per home. <laughs> so you do the, the wow face and it's, um, you know, it's it's a cost of like a brand new Corvette, um, just to put it in context of what that would be. And that's before you put a shovel in the ground. And so I think that's a huge problem. You know, we are choking out people from affording a home. And, you know, we've got all sorts of other challenges when you start putting demographics in, like we have a lot of baby boomers out there in the population and we have a lot of millennials out there. Well, the baby boomers are hanging on to their homes and they're doing that because, um, you know, the interest rates, right? They have these golden handcuffs, 3% mortgage rate, and they have this home that's, you know, desirable. Um, now, normally people shed their homes every, you know, five to six years, but now it's turning into almost eight to nine years. So you got these um, boomers hanging on to the homes and then you have the millennials wanting to go out and buy them. And uh, there's just not enough inventory in the market. And so those lower price homes are selling for way over asking price. And uh, then you go, well, builder, hey, David, go build some more houses to help the inventory crisis. And I'd love to do that. But the problem is that new house is going to be well over $100,000 more uh, than an existing home and uh, for comparable size. And, and in many cases, like in my market, um, a lot of buyers are out there looking for under 400000 A new home in my market starts at around 600000 So, And part of that, again, you got almost 100 of it going to regulation. Um, so that that's a problem. Um, and so that's really where I think uh, I... I, I I'm passionate about it. I'm, I, I speak a lot about housing affordability. I talk to a lot of legislators about it. Um, there's so many things that we could be doing that we're not doing. Um, and so I talk a lot about that. I have like 11, uh, my 11 challenges to housing affordability talk, and then I have some solutions and things, but uh, it's going to take a lot of people working together to, to fix that problem. Yeah. Well, hey, give us give us one of those solutions. One of the 11. What, what do you think would be uh, the most the most bang for your buck on that list? Um, I think the biggest bang for the buck is uh, allowing higher density. And so a lot, and this is not a national thing. This is a local thing. So this is, this is a very hard thing to fix because you have so many local municipalities and they all set their own ordinances, right? So, you know, for example, here in, in Waukesha, like they have a thing where your houses have to be 50 feet from the road and you have to be 20 feet from each side lot line and you have to build like 1700 square foot as a minimum. Well, that's a lot of width. That's a lot of depth on these lots. That means that it increases your street costs by a lot, your sewer and water costs by a lot. And then when you're starting with the 1700 square foot home, you know, back in the day, 
you know, back in the 1950s when we got into the post World War II boom, uh, they created a lot of these development standards just to try and promote housing. Now they're kind of kicking our butt in, in these times because those same standards that were written for those flat lots by the schools and churches, we're not building on those anymore because those are gone. Now we're building on these rolly hilltop lots and the, the lots with the trees and the wetlands on them. And so we're using old standards for newer sites. So we got that problem. And then obviously you've got all these large minimums. So, you know, back in the 1950s, those houses were 1,100 square feet, 1,200 square feet, and they suited everybody just fine. Um, but now everything is just so much bigger and it's you got to have all these architectural requirements and you get the neighbors coming out saying, I don't want these small homes next to me because they're going to hurt my property values and and on and on and on. And it just sort of created this this monster that now we have to um, to fight. And, and until we fundamentally change housing um, and look at housing differently, it's, it, you know, we're going to be in this situation for a while. Yeah. And so I, I'm assuming some of those uh, costs you're talking about are those that go into that regulation and construction when you have to have this much depth, this much width, things like that. And so you mentioned um, at the front end and a little bit as you were sharing, uh, ad- advocacy and meeting with legislation and things like that. Um, what does that look like for you personally? And how would you encourage if there's someone in the building industry listening that's not advocating, but they're like, wow, this is a good point to be discussing? What what was kind of some low-hanging fruit for them to get involved as well? Yeah, um, the first thing is to get involved with your builders association. So if you're you're in the building industry, make sure you're involved at your local builders association because you can you can start affecting change there. First, you got to learn what's going on and then get involved. Um, so you may hear of something that's happening. And it might be just you going to a local meeting and speaking up about it. Um, I, I go a little higher level with mine just because I've been around a while. So I'm, I'm literally talking directly to, you know, um, my state assembly members and state Senate members. And then um, nationally, I go to D.C. every year. We have a lobby day for the National Association of Home Builders. And, and we go to the Capitol and we talk about specific national issues. Um, and I'm also in um, in charge of the PAC for... Wisconsin for for the National Association of Home Builders. So I get to meet with some of these representatives. Um, and I've got a couple of those meetings coming up later this month, which is exciting. So sometimes you only get three minutes with them. So you got to really just um, hit something hard, um, build that relationship, and hopefully, um, you know, be able to, to, to set up a follow-up meeting down the road to have a more deeper conversation uh, about some of the issues and Um, there's a lot of just stuff that's going on that's frustrating. Like one of the the new things that's going on nationally is these stretch codes. And so a lot of people don't know about this, but basically what's happened is the federal government is incentivizing local municipalities to exceed the building code. So you have a written code that's already been established. They're saying, hey, if you want grant money and you want federal money, exceed the energy codes in your thing, we'll give you extra money. But inadvertently, what that's doing is it's adding a ton to the cost of the home because now they're they're wanting, you know, and again, it's for like climate change and stuff like that. But um, when you exceed these codes like this, it can have a dramatic impact on the cost of the home. And so now we're pricing more and more people out of a home. So, you know, you had $1,000 to the cost of a home and it's like 140,000 people across the United States now that can't afford that home. So David, I'm I'm curious before we uh, transition to our second segment, you have three minutes on average with these like representatives when you're lobbying and things like that. 
what do you come in with? Like, what is, can you give us like what the, what the play is for David Bellman when he has three minutes? With it, someone? No, it depends. It's yeah. It's almost specific to each one, but I, the $93,000 added the cost of regulation. I almost always come in hitting, I, I swing hard with that one because um, they, they are, you know, pretty responsible for that amount of money. And it's a, it's a legitimate study that was done by the national association of home builders um, and, uh, you can also use it as that's 24% of the cost of an average home. And that, that's a quarter of the cost is due to regulation. And so it's kind of saying, Hey, we got to really look at this seriously. And then I, I, I usually try and, and, and then go back more towards, you know, think about what your kids are going to be able to buy, or are they going to be able to buy a home? Um, and, and, you know, that's challenging. And then the other thing that I talk about occasionally, and it's hard to to go too much into detail on this, but if you look back at the 1950s again, you could buy a brand new home for twice your income. Today, it's nine and a half times your income to afford a new home. So that shows you that there's something that's dramatically changed and there's something wrong there. Yeah. Wow. David, thank you so much for sharing. Listeners, I hope that uh, some of these things piqued your interest and you're like, hey, I'm going to go check out my local builders association. I'm going to see what it looks like to get involved um, because this is truly a a topic that uh, many should be keeping front of mind, whether you're in the building industry or not, um, just as we're thinking about. Housing is a a human right. It's the American dream and um, it's getting harder and harder um, for for people to, to have that dream. And um, yeah, we got to do whatever we can to continue to allow people to, to own homes and, and own their own real estate. And, um, yeah, it, it, that's why I'm so passionate about it. Definitely. Okay. Well, thank you, David. Uh, listeners, it is that time of the podcast. We're going to be throwing it up to Lancaster, Pennsylvania for our executive director, Matt Baer to, uh, share a quick note with you all. It's nearing the end of 2023. And if you're like me, we're all being presented with a lot of needs this time of year. To be honest, this ad is also a year-end ask, but hopefully you'll hear something different from us. This isn't an urgent plea for you to save our organization or help us to get back into the black. It's a call to invest in what God's already doing. Homes for Hope is going to be here next year. In fact, we have ambitious goals to scale as an organization and increase our support of Hope's continued expansion in programs, innovations, countries served, and more. We fully believe in the efficacy, impact, and faithfulness demonstrated by our parent organization, Hope International, as together we fight poverty in all its forms. We're asking you to join us as we grow, to serve even more talented entrepreneurs sooner and better, who are living in some of the toughest places on earth, and who are working hard to break the cycle of generational poverty. Will you join us by making a generous year-end donation, or starting a conversation with us about launching your own Homes for Hope project? There will be a link in the description for you to take action. Thank you so much in advance for your partnership in the mission of Homes for Hope. And now, back to my good friend and colleague and host of the Homes for Hope podcast, Drake Holtry. Okay, listeners, we are back at the Homes for Hope podcast. My name is Drake Holtry, and I'm your host today alongside our special guest, David Bellman. Um, And now, David, this is the part of the podcast that I always unashamedly say is my favorite. It is what connects to our work, um, is how we seek to invest in the dreams of men and women around the world uh, through microloans, through microenterprise development. And we believe that there's no such thing as a self-made man or woman, and that we are all standing on the shoulders of someone that has invested in us at some point in time. And so, David, I am eager to hear today, who is it 
that invested in you either personally or professionally to get to where you are today? Absolutely. Uh, it's a great, great question. So uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my father because he's been the biggest influence on me being in the building industry. And I'm a second generation builder. So when I say that I grew up in the home building industry, I literally grew up in the home building industry. It was in the basement of our home. And so, um, you know, I heard these conversations at the dinner table, heard about contractors and customers and contracts and this didn't get done right, or this guy's not happy or, you know, all those kind of things, right. That, you know, it's, it's a lot that happens when you build a house. There's a lot of things, a lot of parts and pieces. It's one of the only things that gets built in front of you. Um, and you get to see it being built. Um, and it's a huge investment. It's the largest purchase of everyone's life. So there's just a lot of, um, excitement, drama, all those things that go with it. But uh, my father was very influenced, you know, uh, influential with me um, on building, um, you know, taking me to the job sites as a kid, um, you know, putting me to work. Um, I, you know, I was sassy with my dad when I was probably about nine years old. And uh, I found myself on a job site with the broom and shovel. And uh, uh, this was back in the time when there were no cell phones or anything like that. So I'm nine years old with a broom and shovel. He says, start at the top and work your way to the bottom and, and I'll be back in two hours. And he left me at the job site. And, you know, th the job sites were, there was no houses that were lived in nearby. It was like literally empty, you know, empty subdivision, with maybe one or two houses and nobody living in there. And so, yeah, you had to just kind of do the work and, you know, wait, wait for him to come pick you up. And, um, it wasn't fun. And I realized I didn't want to do that the rest of my life, but, um, you know, he was always good about paying me and instilling that hard work in me. And then, um, I'll also uh, credit my mom a lot because, uh, when I was 17 years old, graduated high school, all my friends were going to go off, uh, and have fun during the summer. And my mom goes, you're getting your real estate license. And, uh, so I started taking real estate classes, uh, as soon as I graduated and, and she's like, Oh yeah. And by the way, uh, we need salespeople. So you're going to work the models on the weekends. So I'm 17 years old. I'm not a big guy to begin with. So I was really little scrawny then. And then trying to sell houses to 40 some year old people. Um, and I had like no training, you know, and had to figure it out. And uh, by the end of summer, I got my license and I sold my first house and sold my second one about a week later. And I was like, okay, I like these checks a lot better than the cleaning out the house's checks. <laughs> David, um, that is, so, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt, but that is fascinating just to imagine you as like, how old are you? you said 17, 18 year old trying to, yeah, to sell 17 houses years old. out yeah. there. That's amazing. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, I had to work really hard. I had to learn the product really well. Cause I figured like these people are probably not going to trust me cause they, they're going to see this kid. So I'm like, I'm just going to learn everything I can and, and, and be as knowledgeable as I possibly can. And, um, you know, I knew I learned my stuff. I knew my stuff. And, um, then it was just a matter of getting confident. And, um, that's one thing I didn't really learn from anyone until later in life, like how to, to just be confident in yourself and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, once, once you kind of get that confidence and then you have the knowledge and then you're just willing to, to, to hustle, right. And just do the hard work. Um, you know, I graduated college uh, working full-time selling houses while I was going to college. And I actually had enough, uh, I had my college paid off and I had enough money left over to build my first house. And so I came out of college debt-free. I came out of college building a house for myself. And, uh, but I worked really hard. This was not, 
you know, this was working full time and doing college load at the same time. So, um, I don't regret doing that one bit though. So I, I missed out on the parties and stuff like that, but I certainly uh, came out of it in a, in a good place. So I, I credit my parents for that. And then the last person I'll, I'll just credit really quickly is um, uh, as I was taking over the company, I heard um, a business coach, his name was Chris Panassa. And he was um, somebody I ran into. He thought differently, looked at things differently, challenged me a little bit. And um, I worked with him for probably six years and, he uh, made me think about my business differently. And uh, that was transformative to do that. And um, really a lot of mindset stuff and things as well, which was really cool. So um, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be where I am today without those people in my life for sure. Yeah. Well, I want to go to Chris real quick. And you said he made you think differently about business. Can you give like one primary example of what that looked like? Sure. Uh, one of the big things is, you know, like most people, when you think of a business, you just think of like your financials and you think of your, you know, um, whatever pricing financials, you think of that kind of stuff. Well, he made me think more of like, you know, what's your vision for the company? What, where do you want to be? What's the top of the mountain? Um, and then, you know, also building in that vision, the mission and the culture of your company, and then, you know, transferring that to your team, that was really important. And that kind of work is most people don't ever see that or, or realize that's going on, but that's really, really important stuff within your company. And so um, that that's one of the things that I think really transformed us because we raised the bar of who and what we want to be, helped us differentiate our company from other building companies. You know, we have 230 builders in our market. Um, so how do you stand out from all that competition? And and a lot of it you do by having good people, having good values, and and then having that vision of how are we what's success for us and what's the top of the mountain for us. Yeah, that's, that's good. The, those things, um, if you, if you don't track them can quickly fall through the cracks. And so whether it is, is culture or just how you guys look different from others and, and things like that. So thank you for sharing. Um, now running it back to your parents here. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, did you ever have a conversation with them as an adult and follow up with them and say like, guys, what were you thinking? Like when your dad handed you a broom or when your mom said, Hey, you're going to get your real estate license Were you like in the moment. Uh, yeah. I'm just fascinated. Were there any follow-up questions about that? No, we laughed about it. I mean, when I, um, when I became, um, president of the, the local builders association, I told the story and um, a little more detail, obviously, but uh, it was really, um, it, it made it seem like maybe my dad was kind of a, you know, a hard, tough father that was tough love, but it, it was good. You know, we lack a lot of that these days in society, right? We're so soft with kids and and sometimes you do need to give them that harder turn or that harder steer. And and that was one of those times where I needed it and it was, it was good. And, uh, you know, those things build character. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the real estate thing is funny because I'm like, man, they must have been really desperate <laughs> that, um, for a salesperson that they had to put a 17-year-old kid in that's never sold a house before in his life. Um, and I was shy. I was a shy kid. So that was really a struggle for me to be talking to adults and and then trying to sell them a house. So I really had to kind of come out of my shell and learn um, to, to, you know, convince people. And I actually got a passion for even taking like psychology courses and things like that. I was fascinated by that in college. So I started studying that and that really helped me with my sales as well. Cause it's like, when you can understand human behavior, um, 
that helps you understand like their motivators and things like that. And so, um, you know, it all kind of came together, but, uh, you know, I always kind of, you know, joke about that. And, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, now that, now like that I have salespeople and things like that, I, I invest in training to them and, and I spend a lot of time with them up front because I don't want them to have that same feeling like I had, uh, when I first started, like, I don't even know what to do. Like, I don't even know where to start. Um, and so, uh, that's shaped me as well. But, uh, I, I had good mentors cause they were both hardworking, um, people and really cared about the building industry. And so I, I, you know, took a lot of that from them. Yeah. I may, I may have already said this. I know I was for sure thinking that I was like, David Bellman is not afraid of work. And I, I love that. I love kind of the, the undertone of that in your message. Um, last question in regards to the investment approach, uh, something you discussed a lot uh, or not a lot, but you at least touched on was confidence and that um, you were shy before. And uh, you mentioned just now the, the site courses that kind of helped you a bit, but what would you say, how did you learn the confidence? Like how did you gain confidence uh, as such a, a young man in such a uh, pivotal role? Yeah. I mean, there's two parts to that because like there was the, when I was younger in sales. And so some of the confidence just came from, knowing the product and just taking time to research everything and put things together. And so that helped me um, in that regard. So just to be as knowledgeable as I could. And then I started reading some sales books and things like that as well, just to learn some techniques. Um, in the later par portion of my life, um, when I kind of got invested with the business coach, um, some of the confidence was more of a mindset thing. And so, um, I kind of every day would um, be grateful of three things that happened to me that day. Um, before I go to bed every night, I would think of three things that were positive that happened. Um, and then I would kind of talk to myself in a positive way at, at the end of the day. So I'd take five things that I wanted to get better at. And I would just kind of go through those in the in my mind. And one of the things that I used to say is, I'm a leader in the housing industry. I'm a leader in the housing industry. Um, and then, you know, uh, other things that I wanted to work on and that kind of helped build confidence and also built awareness when opportunities came up so that if it was in alignment with one of those core beliefs that I had, if that opportunity came up, I would be fine tuned to it and I could, you know, I could recognize those and jump in on those opportunities right away because a lot of people get the same opportunities presented to them, but they just either aren't aware or they're not mentally ready or prepared to jump on them. And so when you focus on that, you get what you think about most of the time. So good. Okay. Well, thank you, David. Um, it has truly been a pleasure having you today, but I wanted to add uh, off to the end, we, we talked about this on the front end. Um, you are involved in some great local work in your community. And so I'd love to, to give you 60 seconds or so to kind of share with the listeners a little bit about that in case they're intrigued at getting involved as well. Sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, we kind of got connected because we're both involved in philanthropy. And so Homes for Hope is an amazing cause. I learned about it. We talked about it on my podcast. I have a similar um, organization that I work for. It does a, a different mission though. So it's called Operation Finally Home. And what we do is we find a deserving injured combat veteran and we provide them a brand new mortgage-free home free of charge. And so I work with all my trades. We get as much donated as possible. And then uh, what we do is uh, we, we do fundraiser events to raise money to cover the rest of the cost of the home. And so they get it completely free of charge. Uh, they have to be 70 or percent or more disabled and meet some other uh, qualifiers. But uh, it's an amazing 
way to give back to those that have served our country, risked their lives and spent so much time away from their their friends and family uh, to protect us, to allow us to do the things that we do every day. So incredibly gratifying. We've built seven of these homes here in Wisconsin and uh, uh, hope to continue to do it for years and years to come. That's so good, David. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, we uh, love the crew over at Operation Finally Home. We always have a, a booth next to them at the International Builder Show or, or other events. Um, and we always say there's more than enough opportunity to help both uh, domestic and international organizations. And Absolutely. So thank you yep. for highlighting. Great causes that. to give and support for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, listeners, um, thank you for tuning in uh, to this episode today with David Bellman. Um, I hope you found it as insightful as I did and are encouraged to invest in those around you. Until next time, this is the Homes for Hope podcast. Mm-hmm.